15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com and Ringboost.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for the 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth. Ringboost dot com has the largest selection of custom local and toll-free numbers in the country memorable phone numbers are a unique and affordable brand asset call 877 ring boost or visit ringboost.com to get yours today accelerate your business growth podcast continues to gain recognition as a great resource for small business owners, entrepreneurs, sales professionals, business leaders. Uh, This is really because of the guests who join me. These are folks who have expertise in a certain area of business, and they join me for a conversation where they share that expertise with all of you so that you can get the information you need to do better things in your business. And today is no different. My guest today is Craig Dowden. Craig has a Ph.D. in psychology with a specialization in business and is a certified positive psychology coach. He regularly contributes to high-profile business and HR publications, including Forbes, Financial Post, The Huffington Post, Psychology Today, and more. In 2009, he was recognized as one of Ottawa's 40 under 40 business leaders by the Ottawa Business Journal. Craig received his Bachelor of Science in Psychology at the Memorial University of Newfoundland and is also the author of the book, Do Good to Lead Well. Thanks so much for joining me today, Craig. Well, you're welcome, Diane. It's a pleasure being here. I am thrilled to have you here. We're going to be talking about 
um, what causes good people to be bad leaders. And this is a fascinating subject for me (laughs) because we see it so often and you just, you know, scratch your head and think, what in the world's going on? Uh, So I'm actually going to start there and ask you, what does cause good people to be bad leaders? Well, I think it's such a, and thank you, and I think it is such a fascinating topic. And when you look at why do people leave organizations, one of the number one reasons, if not the top reason people leave, is because of uh, poor leadership. And then at the same time, if you ask people what is their potential and capacity to be a good leader, the vast majority of us say, great. <laughs> so there's a little bit of a, a disconnect there. And I think there, there are several pieces. Um, and I think one of the, the really key ones is around uh, time pressure. And so when we are operating within our businesses, small, medium, large size businesses, there are a lot of things that are coming at us day to day that we're trying to manage. And so in some cases, again, with um, business owners, founders that I work with, they'll talk about, you know, feeling like they're drinking from a fire hose. And so leadership sometimes can be something that gets, it's almost as if we say, okay, I'll get to that later. Um, And then our calendars can quickly get away from us. And what's really interesting is as well is, is that there's a lot of evidence and research around the fact that when we do feel time pressure, we can act out of character. We're at risk of acting out of character, contrary to our values. And so I think in the context in which we operate, that can really lead many well-meaning, quote unquote, good people to act in (laughs) bad ways and to lash out uh, at their employees, to not take uh, the needs of their stakeholders into consideration. So I think that can be one major challenge. I think a second one, which is also intriguing, and again, one of the best parts about my work is I get the opportunity to interview CEOs, again, from startups all the way up to multinationals. And one of the common threads that I hear from them when I speak to them about positive leadership and how to be successful is they'll, that they'll talk about our operating assumption that other people think, feel, and act like us. <laughs> so when we're, when we're positioning a product, right, we have an exciting new product or service to put in the market, we're super excited about it, and yet we may not integrate in our calculus, well, how will the end consumer <laughs> feel about this? Or people may make the assumption that someone's going to feel a particular way about a situation because we project our own. So I think, unfortunately, those two things, kind of that situational blindness around time pressure, as well as our own Uh, self-serving bias, if you will, our assumption that everybody sees the world as we do, they can really get in the way where, once again, we can be well-meaning and can be tripped up in terms of how successful we are in exhibiting those behaviors. That that is fascinating. And you mentioned uh, these CEOs that you've had an opportunity to, to interview. And what advice have you learned, you know, what advice did they share with you about uh, being a better leader or, you know, things to do to make sure that we're, they're not falling into that bias of believing everyone's in the same place they are? Well, a couple of things. Um, I think they'll talk about, you know, don't believe your own press. Um, and that can be in any kind of forum, place or forum in terms of what is happening. So don't get so excited about your own ideas that you lose uh, track of how they're how they're going to land. 
I think the other thing that was really powerful and different CEOs that I've worked with uh, have, have reiterated this in, in various ways is really to take control of our calendar. So getting back to the time pressure, uh, and I love the David Allen, the productivity guru, you know, that quadrant between urgent and important. And so often we get distracted by unimportant, urgent items, things that demand our immediate attention. Yet in terms of our, moving our business forward, they are not the most critical priorities. And I work with, again, in founders, like so in startups or small businesses where people are racing and racing, there can be lots of things on our plate to, to, check off and then what can happen is is those important non-urgent items can fall down so the ceos that i've worked with and, and spoken with and coach they'll talk about finding time and that's something that we do find time in their calendars for strategic thinking find time in their calendars for self-reflection so what's one thing that uh, what's one mission critical item that i need to check off on my list today to make this a successful day at the office. And so many times in the coaching work that I do is that uh, senior leaders, again, business owners, CEOs will come home after a very long week at the office and go, what did I accomplish this week? Like, yeah. how did I move the needle? And so I think one of the key things that they talk to me about is that finding that time in our calendar, so scheduling that time, and then here's the second equally, if not more important part, hold that as sacred. So, so many times, and again, with executives and uh, people I work with, we'll talk about, oh, well, those meetings are the first to get canceled when something else comes in. And so those that are most successful, those meetings are the most important, almost strategic conversations that they have with themselves, because what it does is almost enable that moment to take a deep breath and say, okay, so what's the most important thing I need to do this week? What's the most important thing I need to do today? So creating that space, even if it's 15 minutes, the shift is extraordinary. And, and what we're doing is making progress on our most essential uh, tasks. That's really interesting. I so love the, um, once you decide the things you know, you schedule things, hold them as sacred, because I agree with you. I, I think people are so quick to let something go, even though they think it's important because they are in the frying pan. Exactly. And it's right there. And I think there's another piece and, and, and back to, you know, advice from CEO is, is from CEOs is really be self-aware. So as an example, let's say there's something you and I are having an exchange and then there's this urgent item that you need done. And then there's that kind of bump of satisfaction knowing I've checked it off my list. Whereas when it comes to the strategic mission critical items about any business, they can be more nebulous, more abstract. They require more deeper, complex thinking, right? And then that can be, oh, that takes a lot of time. And so what ends up happening is, is that these smaller tick box items become much more attractive because a we check them off and then b we feel good that we've accomplished something so it's yeah. re and if we don't set aside that time and we don't realize well we really need to be mindful of those core levers in our business that that constantly require attention well we can get adrift of our priorities quite quickly and we can be working extremely hard and so it's, uh, again, another piece of advice, which, you know, it's like working smarter, not harder. 
Right. Right. Exactly. Okay. Share with me, if you would, what the six pillars of positive leadership are. Well, the reason I wrote the book was is that a lot of uh, business owners, senior executives, CEOs that I worked with were looking for how to be a better leader. So what can I do to grow my leadership muscles? And one of the interesting things that they found was is that when they would Google search positive leadership or employee engagement or how to lead a winning organization, they were overrun with with results and their almost their computers would restart and and begin to spin, you know, because it was so many uh, results in their in their search screen. And so what I wanted to do was essentially identify six evidence based pillars of positive leadership. So those that not only are about doing good, you also do well. And and I think sometimes leaders see it as well, I can either do good or I can do well, I can either be nice or I can drive results. And so I really wanted to provide six evidence-based pillars. So the first one is self-awareness. And this is, and I hinted at that earlier, it's essentially the foundation of positive leadership. If we aren't aware of who we are and how we come across to other people, then we're not nearly as strongly equipped to navigate the different people and situations that we're gonna come across, both personally and professionally. The second pillar is respect or civility and, and respect matters. Uh, it's so important to build trust and really create a strong winning environment. And there's so much evidence around how respect affects our performance, our creativity, our willingness to collaborate, and even our physical health. Humility is the third pillar. And really it's about keeping our ego in check, leaving our ego at the door. And even though sometimes the media imaging around the bravado uh, and, and ego attached to leading, when you look at the evidence, humble leaders perform at a significantly higher level and lead organizations that are much more engaged and creative. The fourth pillar is focusing on the positive, which may be self-evident based on the title, uh, the science and practice of positive leadership. And I think, once again, the important piece here is there are negative events that happen in our business and I was very purposeful around labeling it because it's focusing on the positive. It doesn't mean we don't pay attention to troubling data or we never talk about challenges. It's just where do we spend the majority of our time. Yeah. The fifth pillar is meaning and purpose. So essentially the start with why uh, Simon Sinek's famous TED talk and really around, so why does our business exist? So above and beyond the mechanics, the product or service that we provide, why do we get out of bed in the morning? Why is it, I, when I led a couple of different talent management organizations, a question we would talk about at our team meetings uh, frequently is that, so why do we show up here rather than any other talent management firm uh, in the city or in the country? So what is it that creates that sense of purpose? And then the last pillar is empathy. And so, and, and I have to say it, it may be, <laughs> if I'm able to choose a personal favorite, because it is in decline. And yet, when you look at the leading researchers and, and, and thinkers in this space, they say empathy is the critical uh, differentiating factor for success, both now and even more so in the future. And so these six evidence-based pillars really talk about how do we build a positive organization and how do we exhibit positive leadership uh, behaviors? Wow, that, that is really 
Great. And I so agree with you that empathy is sort of on the decline. Um, so I, so I want to focus in on that one. Sure. What are things um, that leaders can do to strengthen their skills around empathy? Well, I think, uh, I think one of the major pieces is to ask questions. And, uh, and again, what's really interesting is, and, and I'll go back to the example, uh, there are so many founders. So again, so when you're looking at people who are looking to build, scale their businesses and take it um, from a startup idea, the germ of an idea to a really thriving organization of business, if that's their desire, so many people talk to me about how they got so excited and so caught up in their own idea that they never really asked questions of people around them. So, you know, what do you think of this product or idea? Uh, how do you think this can be positioned in the market? What do you think people need to say, see in order to drive their interest? So asking questions, and I think one of the really interesting things is, is that we each have our own assumptions. So if I see you, if we're engaged in a conversation, I can make a variety of assumptions about who you are, what you're about. That's how we operate. And unfortunately, we can uh, come to the conclusion that our assumptions are indeed fact. So I love, you know, the quote, like, if you want to know what's going on in someone else's world, ask them <laughs> rather than <laughs> make the assumption. And I think that's so incredibly powerful and ask for understanding and out of curiosity rather than to judge. So yeah. the more open ended questions that we can ask, it builds trust with the other person. And more importantly, we get access to information that we wouldn't have before. And I think the ability to ask questions, once again, we can almost feel like asking questions denotes weakness. And really the key is, and it's funny, so many of the business owner CEOs I interviewed will talk about, well, asking questions is at the heart of my success. The higher up in the organization I go, the more I need to ask questions because there's no possible way I can have access to all of the data that's available. And my job is to ask the right question to get to the heart of the matter and uh, again, the biggest learning that we, we experience in our lives is through when someone asks us a question, rarely it's when someone tells us something. So I think asking questions is really key. And related to that is visiting the front lines. That's asking questions of our team. Uh, one of the best examples on television, you know, it's undercover boss. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think that's, and it doesn't matter the size of the organization because once again, we can really start to remove ourselves from the day-to-day -day operations of our business. We can lose sight of what it was like to be on the front line or the sole provider in, within that business or unit. And, and then we can again make assumptions, same thing with our customers. So we can just make all kinds of assumptions about what they want. So it's almost like putting on the undercover boss hat and, and, and to operate there. I think the other piece, and this is one of my favorites that I'll share in, in workshops that I do for an all staff retreat or leadership retreats where I'll talk about the importance and it surprises people, I'll say it's really important to break the golden rule. What? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and so, <laughs> you know, and so the golden, you know, the golden rule, yeah. I'll ask people what's the golden rule and it's do unto others the way you would have them do unto you. 
And I yeah. joke, and, I, and I'll, I'll be grateful that the audience doesn't say he or she who has the gold makes the rules. So I just want to <laughs> clarify that. And so on its face, it sounds wonderful. Uh, you know, what better gift could I give to you, Diane, than to treat you the way that I would want to be treated? Because I would feel awesome in that circumstance. Yet when you step back from it and look at it critically, you know, what's the challenge with that? People then are I don't know how that person wants to be treated. Exactly. And that's so it's so interesting, right? Because when we hear it and we we've many of us, if most of us have learned this from our parents, uh, you know, and, and, and societal, if you go around the world and survey people and say, how do you, what's one of the core universal values that you hold on to? People will talk about the golden rule. Yet, right. as you just uh, astutely pointed out, we have no idea how other people want to be treated. So then we get into all kinds of challenges. Uh, you know, I, I will ask the example, I say, well, what about, have, it, have anybody been in a romantic relationship or observed a romantic relationship where one person loves surprises and the other person hates them? <laughs> what, does the one, what does the person who loves surprises try to do to the person who hates them? Surprise, Surprise them. them. Right. And, how, and how does that tend to work out? Not well. <laughs> and they keep trying to surprise them again because they feel like well they haven't been surprised in the right way yet uh. and the interesting thing though is again and this happens in so many domains of our lives no the person doesn't like surprises so breaking the golden rule and embracing the platinum rule treat other people the way they wish to be treated is essential and particularly around leadership, there's some great research out of Hogan from the Hogan assessment. And so what they have discovered is, is that leaders tend to reward and recognize employees based on the way that the leader, him or herself, would like to be rewarded and recognized. Oh. And then we think we're doing people a huge favor by bringing them up on stage or other things. And yet that individual, that isn't rewarding to them. That's not how they wish to be recognized. Same thing back to products and service for customers and stakeholders. We make the assumption that we know what they want almost more than we give them credit to know themselves. This comes right. from a very good place because we're trying to build a relationship and in many ways we can actually be undermining it. So I think remembering to break the golden rule and apply the platinum rule is one of the most uh, critical. Yeah, I love that. I. I absolutely i completely get it it's so interesting i i see companies do it all the time where they think they're supposed to uh decide what their customer needs and that's how they lead with their sales effort and it's totally awfully i i get solicitations all the time from people who say things like i'm sure you fill in the blank <laughs> right yes. well no but thanks right <laughs> i i would imagine you are expected well Mm -mm. So, and, and it is, uh, you don't know me. It, right. It's that, right? And, and people, the, you know, the way you respect them is by getting to know them and what makes them tick and what matters to them, what they value. And it exactly. doesn't matter where, yeah, where they are in, the, in your relationship pool. And I love what you're saying, Diane, because essentially, if we deconstruct that scenario, and again, and business owners can do that, we can all do that as business owners, reach out to someone. And what we're trying to do is demonstrate connection, 
demonstrate understanding, which is really uh, empathy, so that we understand the other person and his or her perspective and where they're coming from. And unfortunately, they missed the key ingredient that I opened with, which is asking you questions. So rather yeah. than saying, <laughs> I'm sure, then right. it's, well, what's happening? You know, thanks for making yeah. a connection. What's happening in your business? What are some, you know, what's your reality? Who do you work with? Who do you like? All those kinds of things, because that unlocks information. And, I, and again, I love what you shared that will, and when we skip that step of asking questions and make assumptions, yeah. well, it turns us off. And we're not interested now in, in having any kind of relationship because, well, if I don't feel understood by you, and who right. are you to make that kind of judgment without any sense of who I am or exploration, well, then I'm going to dismiss you as, as not being credible. And exactly. so, and then I'll make a whole bunch of assumptions about your business. And so asking those questions, and again, there's lots of great research around how websites that are rated higher in, in empathy actually exhibit stronger sales. <laughs> so like, and I think again, sometimes we can think, oh, well, empathy, like how do you do that online? Well, that's where it's a very user-friendly interface on a, on a website where right. customers feel like, hey, I know how to navigate this and I can access the information I need. And I think that's a human need we all have is to feel understood. So when we feel understood, it's a wonderful, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's a wonderful grease for, for business relationships and personal relationships. It really kind of greases the wheel in that space. Absolutely. I, I have to take a quick sponsor break and then I, I have some more questions for you. Uh, let's see. Oh, here we go. Sorry. Uh, Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com and Ringboost.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to them on any device, including whatever you're hearing us on right now. If you sign up at our link, which is audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, you get one free audiobook and a one-month trial of the service. Some examples of books you can listen to on audible.com are The Inside Track by Peter Sage and The Irresistible Consultant's Guide to Winning Clients by David A. Field. So visit audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, explore the books that are of interest to you, and receive one free audiobook when you sign up for the trial. Did you know that phone calls convert to revenue at 10 to 15 times the rate of web forms? and 64% of consumers prefer to contact a business by phone? Increase advertising response rates and improve customer service with an unforgettable phone number. Ringboost.com has the largest selection of custom local and toll-free numbers in the country. Memorable phone numbers are a unique and affordable brand asset. Call 877-RINGBOOST or visit ringboost.com to get yours today. And today we are speaking with Craig Dowden about what causes good people to be bad leaders. So Craig, you know, we've been talking, it's so interesting because, you know, we were talking about this empathy and then we were sort of talking about faking empathy with the examples of trying to make it look like you are connecting with someone when really what you should be doing is asking the questions. But I, I'm, so I'm wondering if there is a way that, the listeners 
can like rewire their brain for empathy. If if they're feeling like they're not sure they're you, you know being empathetic, what say you? Yeah, awesome. Uh, and I've coached many business leaders and executives around this. So first, it's a great question, and I get asked that a lot. Is that well, if I feel like I'm pretty, I'm trending low on the empathy spectrum and, and that's not a strength, what can I do? And in fact, there's lots of research, some of it out of uh, Harvard, which demonstrates that empathy is a muscle. It's a skill that we can build. And so I think that is uh, really critical uh, in terms of our own development and, and potential for the future. And I think what can be really key is a couple of things. Number one is to get into the habit of asking more questions. Uh, of, of business owner, a president of a, a company that I was working with, uh, he scored incredibly low on empathy on, on one of the assessments we did. And he even joked with me, he said, there's, I must, you know, I must be the lowest scoring leader you've ever seen in this space. And, and how, how, you know, how am I going to function uh, here? And he said to me, he confided that, you know, taking an interest in people was never a strength. It was always uh, you know, he just never thought of it. It was just something just way outside of his uh, frame of reference. And so what we did was we set a goal for him that during his interactions, he and he was brilliant. He was technically brilliant, extremely smart. And so he had, again, the right answer and would shut people down very, very quickly. So one of the goals that we set for him was to say, okay, well, in every conversation, you have to ask at least three questions and not and, and, and follow up, so ask a question and follow it up with another question to prevent him from stepping in and just having an answer or an observation. And what was really interesting through our coaching work is as he reported back to me, he said, you know what, uh, Craig, I, I may never be the person who feels totally comfortable asking questions. And, it's, and it will be, I will be a work in progress. Yet, I can actually see why people exhibit an interest in other people. Because I've been getting more information from people. They're sharing more with me now. I have more insight into my business. I have more insight in terms of what my customers need. So even though it's not something that's natural for me, I've built it almost like a muscle that now I've just gotten used to uh, using whenever I have a conversation. So I think it's slow and steady wins the race. It's creating the habit and the other thing that I would say is, is gather a support group of people around you, both inside your organization, your business, be it employees, uh, be it stakeholders, be it customers, as well as people in your network and say, you know what, Diane, I really want to uh, demonstrate an interest, uh, build my empathy muscles for 2019, and I want to ask more questions. So I've noticed I have a tendency to jump in or judge or not take the time to really get to know someone else's situation. So if you see me doing that well, please let me know. If you see me struggling and not doing it well, please let me know. And so that kind of external check mark uh, and, and, and check in can be great in terms of raising to our conscious level of awareness things that we may miss. Because once again, if there are habits, they can be really hard for us to be aware of. So it's the commitment to and having small goals to build our questioning muscles and empathetic muscles, and then also having a support group around us who can highlight and track us in terms of goal achievement. Just like we do in a business around, here's what I wanna do this quarter. 
um, and then figure out who do I need and what do I need to achieve. It's the same thing around empathy. We, we create, craft the goal in the same way and now figure out what resources and support do I need to get there. I love that. That is so great. And there, and it, I mean, one of the things I love about it is that it gives people permission to help you overcome that, that it is also a sign of respect for them. So, yes. right. You're further building the relationship with them because you're saying in, you know, not so many words, I trust you and I will, am inviting you in to my process to help me be a better leader and and I get it that I'm not without having to say that exactly and and that's the the so above and beyond and I love that you're pointing this out uh, is that above and beyond the benefit that you get personally by building your empathy muscles what stronger message can you send to your employees to your customers to your stakeholders around hey if I'm trending off where I want to be or where I'm, and we're all human. We all have thoughts. We all make mistakes and they can be critical, Uh, you know, foundational errors that foundational flaws that if aren't addressed can be mission critical in our personal and professional lives. So inviting people in and saying, this is what I'm looking to do. And this is how I need you to support me. Not only are they behind us, they're also big fans and advocates and then they appreciate, as you've highlighted, Diane, like, wow, what a wonderful request that, that this person is, is bestowed upon me about, well, they need me. And what a great way. They're, look at how they want to improve and develop and grow. Hey, I want to learn more about them, or I want to do more business with them, or I want to hang out and, 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 and get to know them a little more. And so, and that's not, again, that's a wonderful byproduct of taking that perspective and we can just move our ego to the side and then really want to grow as a person. Um, so I think it benefits us in so many ways. Yeah, no kidding. Okay. Speaking of moving our ego to the side and we are all just human. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, can you provide us with some input on, uh, how to best apologize? Oh, yeah. Well, I think so. There are so many. This is such an amazing uh, topic. And, and it is so interesting because so if, you, if we think about it, and I ask audiences and I coach executives around this as well. Um, you know, if, if I ask you, so Diane, if someone apologizes to you, takes responsibility for their behavior, and owns up and, 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 and sincerely apologizes, how do you feel about that person? I feel great about that person. Right. And, and oftentimes I'll hear, you know, my respect goes up, my, right. trust, my trust goes up. It's restored, if not elevated with that. And then what's really interesting for most people though, is you ask them, do they apologize? And then the answers we provide is, well, no, because the other person will think I'm weak or I'm incompetent or they'll respect me less. <laughs> so it's this interesting kind of juxtaposition b- behind that. And, and I think it's so, it's one of the most underutilized yet powerful relationship building uh, techniques that we have. Marshall Goldsmith, the top rated executive coach in the world, multiple years running, has called apologizing a magic move, the magic move for executives and business leaders. 
Um, I remember interviewing Jim Whitehurst. He's now the CEO of Red Hat, a multi-billion dollar organization. I think they just had the largest merger in the history um, just a, a short time ago. When I was talking to him, he said, people have an amazing capacity to forgive if we provide them with the opportunity. Yeah. So I think that's also incredible. And a lot of times, again, we can not want to apologize because, well, what do I have to apologize for? They're going to take advantage or they're going to, and again, right. unfortunately, it's a, it's a massive opportunity that we let go to the wayside. Another uh, senior vice president I was coaching, when he apologized to his team and took ownership for his behaviors, his, I remember it was one of the most powerful observations anyone has shared with me because I was doing follow-ups with his team and I called them all um, afterwards and someone said to me, they said, Craig, what's amazing is, is that now after he's apologized for this, not only do I respect and appreciate what he's trying to achieve, now I'm open to learning from him and being mentored mm. by him because before his arrogance just, I was like, I didn't want to give him more data. He's the smartest person in the room. So now that he's apologized, like now I'm open to learning and I've taken in more in the last month or so than I have in the last two years working with him and for him, because now I just view him in a very different way. So there's so much um, power uh, in, in apology. And, and in fact, there is a science of apology. And one of my favorite pieces of research looked at, so what does an effective apology look like? And so number one is, is to actually say the magic words, I am sorry. <laughs> um, or I apologize. And that may seem, you know, your listeners, I say, well, thanks. <laughs> What's interesting is, is some of us have an aversion to saying that. We yeah. would rather write a 10-page treatise or deliver a 10-minute monologue around how much regret we have. As human beings, there is something powerful about the words, I am sorry, uh, or I apologize. So that's step one. Number two is to offer compensation. So to explore how can I reestablish, rebuild this relationship. And that's not to say, you know, how many cups of coffee do I need to buy you, Diane, <laughs> to get you to leave me alone about this. This is really around, so how can I, what can I do to reestablish, rebuild this relationship? And then the third part is taking responsibility. And one of the biggest offenders in this space is when we offer a non-apology. So as an example, uh, Diane, I'm sorry you took my last statement that way. Yeah. <laughs> what that basically means is that I'm sorry you're incompetent, right? It's like, yeah. I'm sorry you're not perceptive enough to know what it is that I said previously. So now I have to descend off my mountain of knowledge and really kind of dumb it down. And unfortunately, yeah. once again, what that does, as you can appreciate, is do considerable damage. And there are executives that I've worked with and business owners where I'll say, don't, if that is the best apology you can muster, don't, because it's yeah. much more damaging to do it that way. Yet, once again, we can hold this as part of our ego. We don't want to let go of the fact that someone, even if someone has misheard us, misunderstood us, as the communicator, it's my responsibility around ensuring that they've received my message in the way that I've intended. So right away, even if it's an unintended impact, 
it's so essential for me to apologize because otherwise it can really drive disconnection in the relationship. And referring back to Marshall Goldsmith, I love this one, and we spoke multiple times. And I remember over lunch, he was saying to me, you know, it's amazing to him how often leaders want other people to exhibit responsibility and accountability for their behaviors, yet the leaders don't do it, him or herself. Yeah. <laughs> so if we want people to be responsible, to follow up on timelines, deadlines, follow through on their commitments, et cetera, we can complain about everyone else, yet if we're not apologizing and right. taking ownership, how can we possibly expect the people we lead or our consumers, our customers, our stakeholders to follow suit? And so it's just this wonderful, and going back to the executive I coached, he said to me, you know, afterwards, people on the team started to apologize more frequently because he set the standard. And then also they would come in and talk more openly about things that they were struggling with because they saw it as, well, this is how we operate. We all have things that, we, um, that, that we're not skilled in. So let's just be open about that. So things can be brought to the surface quicker. Um, so there's so much around apology that's uh, unearthed I would say. <laughs> Boy, I'm so glad that you just brought that up because that was the question I was going to ask. It really sounds like when a leader learns how to apologize, it really changes the tenor and, and the vibration of the environment that they're in for everybody because people know then that they can be human, but also it's, it feels like the leader looks at people more – uh, reasonably. It, it, well, and back to, and I, you know, I love linking it back to your initial question about good people being bad leaders. By yeah. being in a position of leadership, we have authority over other people. So right away, there's a distancing effect that happens with our relationship. And so to your point, by exhibiting vulnerability, it reminds everyone around us, hey, we're all human. And yeah. then so now the gap, and this is when someone who's really positive, really happy, again, a good person can create an environment where, and I've coached many quote unquote positive people, really good people. And they'll say, well, no one comes by my office or says hello, or, you know, or shares things. And, you know, like they know I'm really nice and I care about them. And yet if we don't exhibit vulnerability and openness, it's really tough for other people to walk into our offices and do the same because, exactly. you know, especially because of the hierarchical uh, dynamic as well. So you really set the tone and people look up to see how do we behave in this organization. And then I'm much more comfortable to say, well, you know what, I struggle with organizing around deadlines. Um, and you've come to me and say, well, I struggle with X. And so by that admission, now it inspires me to be more open with you because, well, you've gone first. And as the leader, once again, that sets a very powerful precedent around how that, how that can operate. Wow, it's so interesting. I, I, I love this whole way of looking at this because it really, um, really changes the dynamic and it's the kind of thing that you know, good people are not being good leaders because of stuff, because of things. It's not like they walk in and say, I'm going to intentionally not be a good leader, right? And it's just bringing them back to what's important, what really matters, and it's that connectivity and that relationship and respect and all of those things. I can see why empathy is such an important part of it. 
Well, and, and then to, you know, talk about business and business growth, right? How to accelerate our business growth. So for listeners, you know, if we've had, if we make a mistake in our business, if someone even flip it around to put on our empathy hats, if a business makes a mistake towards us, mm-hmm. what will drive our desire to want to continue working with them, being engaged with them on a business standpoint. If they basically explain everything away and blame it on 101 different people and don't take any ownership, or if they show up and say, Diane, you know what? We really messed up that order for you. And that's on us. We make a commitment to have things to you in 48 hours in pristine condition. And we took 72 and it was a poor quality product. And we own that. How can we make that better for you? Because you're a valued uh, customer and, 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 and part of this business and you've been with us for a while and we own that and here's what we're doing because we learned it and we make a commitment that we're going to do everything we can to not have that happen again. Which organization are you going to be inclined to go back and want to continue to be their customer? The second one. Right, exactly. It's almost like <laughs> the question, it's almost like too obvious and yet Again, in our yeah. businesses, when it's our own business, we can go, oh, oh, what if people, maybe they'll think we're incompetent if we apologize, or maybe they'll say, oh, see, you're at fault. And I mean, there's even evidence, or I, it was either in Iowa or Idaho, they did a big review in the medical profession, and they found that doctors who apologized for errors, things that they had done wrong, they actually suffered fewer malpractice suits than yeah. those who didn't, because the patients, even though they suffered uh, damaging consequences, they appreciated, hey, we're all human and we make mistakes. So what we're looking for is the ownership of that and go, we can all do something and fall down from time to time. I'm grateful that you're acknowledging that. So thank you. So that's what we are looking for. So again, it can be something when it's our business, we can be very reluctant to use, yet when it's someone else's business serving us, we can demand it. So it's being aware of that. Yeah, boy. This is so wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me and sharing this information. Will you let the listeners know how they can find you and your book and you know what you've got going on? Well, thank you. I've had a, this has been fantastic. I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation and really um, appreciated your questions. And so anybody who's interested to learn more, uh, you can check out craigdowden.com. And uh, for your listeners, my book, Do Good to Lead Well, The Science and Practice of Positive Leadership, uh, which is being published by Forbes, is is slated for broad release February 8th. And as a thank you to everybody in my community and network and including the listeners, uh, people who order a copy between now and February 28th, uh, they will uh, res- get put in, just go onto my website, enter your name and email address and the uh, proof of purchase from Amazon and you're entered into a draw to win a free six month coaching program. Um, I'm so grateful to be able to release this book and everybody who contributed to it. So I'm excited to uh, choose the name of someone and I'll do uh, a six month coaching program. That's so great. Thank you for that and congratulations. We will make sure we get this this out there and let people know. Uh, As always, I'd like to thank the listeners as well, you folks, or who we're doing this for, as well as our sponsors. 
please remember, if you would like to get a free trial of audible.com as well as a free audiobook, please go to audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth to sign up. And also uh, call 877-RING-BOOST or visit ringboost.com to get your own custom local or toll-free number um, that you can be using as another advertising avenue. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, Goodbye and good day. Everybody should definitely come to Baltimore. We had to find a different way to put our passion to work. If you love your job and love what you do, every day goes on as you want it. I think how we look at art can be world-changing. All of these businesses are taking precautions to make sure that everyone is safe. We're ready. Masks, distancing, and frequent cleaning are just the beginning. Learn more at Baltimore.org. I don't know what I was thinking when we named our dog Kitty. And this sweetie's become a true family member. So when we vacation, she comes too. That's why we love Red Roof. Not only are they pet friendly, you also get a great price on clean, comfortable rooms so you wake up rested and ready to hit the road again. And this summer, when we rest and repeat at Red Roof, Staying two separate times can earn us a free night. Isn't that right, kitty? Book at redroof.com. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.